Since we're all getting to know each other, uh, just want to share some things with you uh, about me and uh, my training, so to speak. I get a little happy when I come across uh, passages with the gospel according to John. Uh, they say that you emulate your teachers. And so my teacher for New Testament, Dr. Jamie Clark Souls, was a uh, wonderful scholar, but was a little partial to John. And so when I see John, I get a little happy because being a lectionary preacher, we have a three-year rotating calendar, and each one of those three years is supposed to be around a particular gospel, uh, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to Matthew the gospel according to Mark but John does not get its own year so it doesn't get to cover that much but I like the gospel according to John because my professor liked the gospel according to John uh, she liked it so much that when we had both for New Testament 1 and New Testament 2 for midterms and tests and finals you had extra credit and extra credit on the back was which gospel was the best gospel? <laughs> A, the gospel according to John. B, the gospel according to John. C, the gospel according to John. And D, the gospel according to John. Extra credit on every test day. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so I like John because the, the, the gospel according to John or the, the, uh, the fourth gospel, as some people like to call it, is high on a big old $5 word they call Christology. <laughs> Talking about Christ and Jesus being the Messiah. Something else that I like about the gospel according to John is that there are no miracles, only signs. Whenever God did something or, or Jesus did something in the gospel, according to John, John, they did not use the word miracle. They used the word sign. And what does a sign do but point you to the right way? Amen. And so we have this gospel according to John. And in the text, uh, we're in the, the, the first chapter. And so this part of the story, Jesus is getting his followers together, his disciples. There's a lot to follow out there. There's a lot to follow politically. Uh, I, I would argue that during these charged times, I've learned that there are people who will believe what they believe and not care what the other side has to say. You can put the facts in front of them, but they still choose to follow whatever it is because they are that devoted to the cause. Not just, just politically, but you, you will follow your family. You'll follow what your job has to say. You'll follow your close friends. There are plenty of things to follow, but here Jesus is giving us something better to follow. Amen. Amen. 
And so he comes and he gives these people a new name. He's got this man by the name of Simon. He was, becomes this man named Peter. And in some, another gospel says, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so the following is not just following them where they're going, but it's also following in your lifestyle. Amen. Yes, he told Andrew and Simon to follow him where they were going, but they ended up following him for the rest of their lives. So here we have this double meaning that, yes, we're going to go see where this great teacher is about to go, but we're also about to have our lives changed. And. Andrew goes on to get his brother. Andrew and, and, and gets his brother, and I like that when I was studying for because I've learned that this process of following Jesus is not just about following Jesus wherever Jesus goes. It's not just about doing whatever Jesus tells you to do. Those things are part of it. But once Andrew got it, he went and got somebody else. Once he got this understanding, once he had learned about this Savior, once he had followed this Savior, he went and found somebody else and told him about it. That is what we are supposed to do as disciples. Go forth and make other disciples. We ought not just be caught up on these four walls waiting for those who are outside to come out from among them. Uh, Jesus told him that he would make them fishers of men. I don't know anybody that can catch fish staying in the house. Is the microphone working? It's just... Yes, it's good to dress up nice and get your car washed and waxed and come in on Sunday and, and meet and hear, hear somebody talk to you for 15 to 30 minutes. But what else are we doing throughout the rest of the week? The story of conversion is not completed until they bring somebody else to Jesus. How many people do we share the gospel with? And not just for church concerts. Church concerts are nice. There's good music being played and sung at church concerts. But we ought to be able to share more than just that. One sermon once a week or one Bible study once a week is not enough to convert all. We have to go out. I remember I'll quote somebody you all might know that said sheep make other sheep. So we get this message and we have to go out and share it. And those are how the disciples come to follow Jesus. And why would you follow Jesus? Because he's worth following. In the text, we are introduced to the Savior. And it says that this is John's testimony in verse, uh, 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 verse 19. What I, I read, I started at 29, but when you look at the whole chapter 1, it goes, and this is John's testimony. It's John testifying about Jesus when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I watch a lot of TV, probably more than I should. God's still working on me, but I watch a lot of TV. And some of my favorite shows happen to be one by the name of NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigation Unit. It's it's, um, 
There they have these people who commit crimes that are related to the military. And this NCIS group is here to solve it. And I like the spinoff, the NCIS Los Angeles. I haven't caught some of the other ones, but I like these shows because they go in and they investigate the evidence. They look up for fingerprints and DNA and, and, and recordings and, and hack computers and pull all of this information off. They gather this evidence and then they use it to catch the criminal. Bad guy gets locked up in one or two episodes. Everybody's smiling and high-fiving and going home. We did a wonderful job. But that's a bit of a fantasy. There's another show that I like to watch. that's called The First 48. First 48 is not fantasy. They go follow real police officers investigating real crimes. And you know what I notice about First 48 that's different than NCIS? In the fantasy, you have all of this evidence that is collected, and the evidence tells you what's going on, and the evidence puts the person in jail. But when you go to the real deal, the way that they get these people in the first 48 is through a confession. The people are, are, are captured, the people are brought to justice because somebody had to tell the officers what was going on right there. So we can present the evidence all we like. And the evidence may produce a result that we have over time. But if you want to find something, because they call it the first 48, because they want to solve the crime within the first 48 hours. And so if you want to solve the crime quickly and more effectively, then you don't have to wait on the evidence. You have to tell somebody. Why would you bring that up today, Pastor? Well, I would bring it up today because I look at the evidence. And we have plenty of evidence here day to day. And the evidence is true. And the evidence will work. And the evidence is necessary. But if we are going to bring people to Christ, they're going to have to believe and hear our testimonies. We're going to have to tell them about how God made us, uh, gave us a way out of no way. We have to tell them how he's been a doctor in the sick room and the lawyer in the courtroom. We have to be able to share our story with those around them. That'll be a much faster and much more effective way to get to it. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. I love the Bible. One of my favorite phrases is the Bible says. But it's the testimony. The people out there looking to, to, to get with Jesus don't have a problem with God. Don't have a problem with the Bible. The problem they have is with some of the testimony of those that are so-called Christians. Are we living a life that's worthy of drawing other people to other into the fold? Are we telling them about Jesus? Are we telling them about his everlasting grace? Are we telling them about his tender mercy? Are we telling them about his favor? Are we keeping it to ourselves? And do we look like we have some joy in our hearts? Bishop T. Garrett Benjamin, the church that I grew up in and light of the world Christian church in Indianapolis, Indiana, used to say all the time, if it is joy in your heart, there is no reason to keep that secret from your face. Are we testifying about this joy and this peace and this grace and this mercy? Are we sharing it with others? The story of conversion is not completed until we bring others to Jesus. 
And so he introduces, John introduces this Savior. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They say the third time is a charm. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I like that. And I notice when it says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin It's singular. Why is it singular? Because it's not just about everyone. It's talking about the entire sin of the world. This is not just about Jesus saving our souls individually. This is a plan that was put forth for all of creation. Jesus is able to save everyone. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he's bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your past. He's bigger than your family. He's bigger than your job. He's bigger than everything that you have because he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb of God. Ah, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. We read in Exodus when the people of God were captured by Pharaoh, were enslaved by Pharaoh, and it was time for them to go. Pharaoh didn't just let them go easy. There was plenty of problems that had to go on. There was plenty of problems that that there was plagues and pestilence and frogs and boils and rivers being turned into blood because Pharaoh was a bit hard-headed. I like that term hard-headed because one of the scholars told me a lot of times when you see the word heart in the Old Testament, they were really talking about the head. And so when you hear that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, Think his head was hardened. Do we know anybody with a hard head? Someone who you got to tell multiple times over and over again until they get it. Let my people go. And if you don't know anybody else that's hard headed in your circle, you might be the one. But he told them to let the people go. And during those times when you read in Exodus, eventually the, the Egyptians lost their firstborn sons. But the people of God didn't lose their firstborn sons because they put blood on the window or on the door seals. And so the death angel passed over. Amen. And so you talk about this lamb of God because the, 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 the people after the death angel had passed over them would have a Passover meal later on. And in that Passover meal, they will be reminded about how they were saved from doom. And part of that meal, they would have bitter herbs. And they would have horseradish. And they would lean to the side and tell the story about how God delivered the people from the the, the, uh, Pharaoh of Egypt. And they would also have lamb. Why? Because that lamb was sacrificed year in and year out to the people of God uh, uh, during those times before Jesus came in order to remove themselves of sin. And they talk about things in Hebrew, Baruch Atai Adonai, and they would have a bunch of different phrases, but they started off with that, Blessed O you, O Lord, the King of the universe. And they would have this lamb as a meal because that lamb was sacrificed for their sin. And so when John was testifying, behold, The Lamb of God that takes the sin away from the world. He was letting them know you didn't have to have that lamb shank bone anymore. 
there was something big enough to take your sin away. It was big enough to take your sin away and, t- and re- keep you from experiencing death, hell, and the grave. So he's testifying to these people, look, the Lamb of God, the last Lamb you're going to need, the last thing that's going to need to be sacrificed is right here. And he's bigger than anything you can throw at him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he goes on to say that he was before me. He was preferred before me even though that he was after him. Ah, this is the one that I meant when I was said the man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Did I say I like the gospel according to John? I think I did. I think I did. Because at the beginning of the gospel, according to John, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was there at the beginning. Through him all things were made, and out of him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Let me read that again. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Let me read that one more again. In the beginning was Jesus. And the Jesus was with God. And the Jesus was God. And it goes on in the 14th verse to say that the word, the Logos, the Jesus became flesh and dwelled among us. So it's here to say that he was before him, but he was after him because Jesus was physically born after John the Baptist. But he was before him because he was there in the beginning. He was God made flesh on the earth, stepped out of eternity, put on human clothes, learned what it was like to be hungry, to be sick, to be angry, to be tempted. He lived a life that we could not live, died a death that we could not die. He became the perfect sacrifice. He became the ransom for our lives. And so when he says that he came after him but was before him, that his birthday was after John the Baptist, but he's been there since the beginning. Sorry, I went engineer for a moment. I know what RF interference is, and I just had to get rid of it. So in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. In the beginning was the Jesus. So he was born on the calendar after John the Baptist. But he's been there since the beginning. You know, there are a lot of things I think I understand. I understand RF interference. If you hook me, if you show me an AV system in a room with a processor and a switcher, especially if it's Crestron, I'll know how to make it do some stuff. I understand how it works. But there are some other things that I don't understand. But I still know that they work. Uh, If you were to pull out my transcript from Prairie View A&M University, you would see that I had to take differential equations three times. We family here, I'm going to just be transparent, had to take it 
three times. I didn't know before I got there that there was actually math higher than calculus. I thought math stopped at algebra and calculus, but there was no, 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 there's plenty of more. There's calculus and analytical geometry and differential equations, and I know on the surface when you have differential equations, it's an algebraic formula that has two different rates of change in something. So that basically means if you have something like, I don't know, a bathtub, and, and you pour water into the bathtub, and you leave the drain out of the bathtub, you would have to use a differential equation to figure out how much water is in that bathtub because it's got two rates of change coming in. It's got water coming in, and it's got water coming out. You would use something like that to figure out how much gas you got in your car. Uh, anything you got in the water tank. It's these kind of things. I, I don't understand it fully. If you put a differential equation in front of me, I would have trouble understanding it. But I understand it works. I know my gas meter on my car still works. I don't understand it all the way, but I know it works. I know it happens. There are some simple things that I don't understand, but I know it works. I don't understand how a brown cow can eat green grass and make white milk. But I know it works. I know what I pour on my frosted flakes in the morning, it works. And so I say that to say that there are some things about the mystery of God that I don't understand, but I know it works. I, don't, I know in some way, shape, or form that we have this Trinitarian God with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I don't use certain uh, examples about it because you borderline on heresy with some of those understandings, but I understand it works. I understand that he, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, so he can be Father and Son at the same time. I don't understand it point to point, but it works. I don't understand how he can be a doctor in the sick room and a lawyer in the courtroom, but it works. I don't understand how he can be the lily of the valley and the bright morning star, but it works. I don't understand how he can be uh, Gideon's battle axe and Ezekiel's wheel in the middle of the wheel, but it works. I don't understand how he could go to the cross and never say a mumbling word, but it works. I don't understand how he could have called down 10,000 angels, but it works. And so I say that to say that I don't understand everything about it, but I do understand that it works. I understand that you can have a black, dirty soul, put red blood on it from the crucified lamb, and it'll be washed as white as snow. I can't tell you the point by point of how it works, but I know it works. I don't understand how he went to Calvary for me in my place, but he did. I don't understand how they put this crown of thorns on him and mocked him and blindfolded him and told him and punched him and said, prophesy, Jesus. Which one of us punched you? But he did. Didn't have to do it, but he did. I don't understand how he had to carry a cross all the way to Calvary, a.k.a. Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull, but he did. I don't understand why he stayed up on that cross while he did that whole time, but he did. Lord knows I'm not worth it. Lord knows I couldn't do it myself. They asked why would Jesus have to do it? Because no matter how good of a life you live, no matter how many things you do, no matter how many organizations you are a part of, no matter how many community service hours you get, no matter how many pieces of, of positions that you get on a job, it does not matter. You can't save yourself. I don't understand exactly how it works, but it works. 
I don't understand why they pierced him in the side, but it works. I don't understand why he had to get the cat of nine tails, but he did, and it works. I don't understand why he died, but he did, and it works. But I'm so glad that I don't have to also understand that early on the third day, he got up with all power in his hands. I don't have to understand exactly how it does it, but it works. And that's not where the story ends. I don't understand it, but it works. And I understand that he's coming back again. Will you be ready? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open.